and welcome to episode 212 of the What Is Waveland podcast. I'm your host, Weishan, and as usual, I have my favorite co-host with me, Tony. Hey, T, how's it going? Good, good. It's my uh, birthday on Sunday, everybody, so uh, I'll put my Venmo account, you know, into the... Uh, into the story in case anybody wants to send me a birthday gift. Trust me, I, I'm not shameful. I'll take it. <laughs> and how, how old are you turning again? Or uh, have we stopped counting? It's 41. Once you turn 40, I think that the next time I'll care about a birthday will be when I'm 50. And I didn't care much when I turned 40. People were like, oh, 40, that was a big one. I go, nope, don't notice any difference at 40. Not going to notice a difference at 41. When you start going bald at 16 years old, trust me, you, you, you stop caring about age. You're just like, Vanity goes right out the window. It's fine. It's <laughs> <laughs> too bad we don't have this podcast on video. If not, yeah, everyone would be mm. used to seeing your bald head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, well, we, we promised you guys a guest this week, but actually we have guests. Uh, so, yeah, multiple guests, if you didn't hear that from my pronunciation. But... Anyway, Tony, <laughs> do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, about our guests this week? Sure. So uh, we are just about through the second week of the Waters Technology Innovation Exchange. Still time to register. Wish I will tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But um, we decided uh, on last Friday, I moderated a panel um, uh, of AI experts, uh, representatives from Bank of America, uh, Prudential, um, some academics, somebody from FactSet. So a nice little, you know, vendor, end user, sell side by side and academic. And, you know, we just kind of talk about some issues around AI. Um, and we figured, let's just make our lives easy and just let, uh, the, let, let this innovation exchange do the work for us, right? So, um, yeah, some good takeaways there. That's what we got this week. So um, I don't know. So we're just about through two weeks. Shen, for you, any... Uh, What's kind of been the common theme for you that you've heard the most of what you listen to? Um, I think for the ones that I listen to, a lot of the talk has been about <laughs> applying AI, AI and ML. So sure. I think it has been that. There has been a little bit of talk about ESG as well, but, you know, yeah, we, we've been covering a lot of that on uh, on water technology. So if you head over to our website, you'll see some of the stories that we've already put up. And as Tony said, there's still time to register. Um, and the, the good thing is all these panels you know, from the 9th of September mm -hmm. are available on demand. So if you register now, you can still go back and watch uh, and listen, watch and listen to the previous panels. So, well, Tony, for you, what was the key takeaway? Um, I, you know, I, the one thing I've noticed that kind of surprised me is even people that work in capital markets technology, there is a lot of, and I think that's because um, we have so many uh, panels who are based out of Asia, but a lot of talk about um, kind of retail tech, but how, you know, when we're talking about AI and ML, how it's being used in retail and then how it's applicable toward services um, uh, in the capital markets. And, you know, so I think that's been kind of interesting. That's been the good thing is getting the divergent kind of group of, or diverse uh, group of uh, speakers together and kind of just discussing AI, but from a lot of different levels. Mm -hmm. So I think that's been kind of cool. Uh, your article that we're going to be publishing on Friday talks a little bit about that too. So um, yeah, that's where I would go with it. But um, yeah, so you know, we got we got a couple days left. As Shen said, 
you know, there's still time to register. Again, these are all available on demand, but they won't be available on demand after the event ends. So get in there, give a listen uh, this next week. Um, and I'm moderating a panel uh, on Friday. Shen's going to be moderating the panel in yep. just a couple hours. Actually, by the time we post this, we'll both have been done. But Shen's <laughs> got another panel next week. So uh, it's definitely worth uh, still registering and listening in. Yep. Okay. Well, with that, let's leave you with the EA experts to talk you through it. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. So to get things started, uh, you know, first of all, if you have questions, uh, please submit them. We'll try and get to as many from the audience as uh, possible. Um, you know, but I want to kind of almost start with some questions that were raised in previous panels uh, throughout uh, the, the first couple of days of this event. And one of the things I thought was really interesting was uh, an individual named uh, Eric Pham, uh, professor at uh, the National University of Singapore, uh, at that financial firm approach AI as an afterthought, um, which doesn't help them to explain how or why their models work. Um, that the focus is on uh, feature importance, but the financial theory isn't necessarily built into these models. So I guess to start off with, Laura, I'm going to kick things off with you uh, coming from Bank America and, and previously we're at. Would you agree uh, with that sentiment that largely in financial services, so speaking more broadly from what you've seen in your experience, that in the financial services, AI is almost like we should do this, let's add this in as opposed to let's build from that from the start? Um, yes, Tony, you know, it's a really interesting sentiment. Um, what we're seeing is, as we, I think all of us are taking a look at the different technologies and how, especially with uh, artificial intelligence, we have some incredible use cases. Um, but when you think about when you're using different models uh, that are going to impact your books and records or regulatory filing, you start to look at when you start to put your models to a model governance um, and model governance review, what we're seeing just generally in the industry is uh, a more, instead of having supervised and unsupervised types of learning and machine learning, they want more deliberate methodologies that, um, that are more traditional in their, in their development uh, and substantiation of why the, they believe that those work. And so that's why I think we're seeing that while we're still in that mode, where we're, we're moving towards uh, that, where we're uh, we have a, a huge amount of governance and scrutiny over our models and the and, and making sure that that we're looking at them from all angles and they're very deliberate in their methodologies. Um, what we're seeing though is that we're starting to we're embracing a lot of the artificial intelligence and the machine learning capabilities. As you're right, maybe uh, more more you know what we call. Um, you know, champion models and we have challenger models, but we're seeing that we are able to use some of these models as more analytics. Maybe they're not going to be your official models, but they're more analytical models that help you inform, refine, um, and, and optimize your models over time. So it's more of an analytics tool instead of a leading, uh, you know, kind of a leading area. And, and but I think that right now that's, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And a lot of these, uh, and we're going to hear a little bit more about this later. But a lot of these model development capabilities and model methodologies and the governance is really evolving. Sure, and you know, let me get then uh, kind of the buy side per, per, uh, perspective. Michael, coming from Prudential, 
you know, how, how do you guys look at AI development? Is it kind of at the forefront, we're going to be the leaders on this, or is it let's co- incorporate this in, maybe partner with uh, more experts in the field on this? So um, I think um, it's le- it's less of a either or. Uh, I think we have to partner with uh, with people who are not uh, who aren't born and bred prudential, uh, because quite frankly, we don't have at the moment certainly the capability or the creativity to come up with all the uh, with all the potential use cases and applications and implementations and algorithms that that we uh, that we need to succeed. So the partnering piece is uh, is definitely a must. But if I may go come back to uh, the beginning of your question and your earlier question as well, I think for us um, AI is less of um, a question of running through several use cases and an afterthought. For us, AI is really an opportunity to reconnect with our customers. It's um, it's an opportunity to understand individuals better, be that um, our insurance customers across Asia um, and um, our our asset management customers uh, and understanding what makes them behave the way they do and what are their needs. And that's really what AI is a key tool for us. Sure. Let me cut you off then. Give me an example then. Give me a real practical example of Prudential, how you are using AI to reconnect. That you talk about that AI is viewed as a way to reconnect. Give me an actual use case as to how that works in motion. Yeah, so um, give you give you an example. Um, um, at the moment, um, at the moment, if you are, you know, if you, if you have um, pre-existing conditions, probably a, a really simplistic example. So let's say you're diabetic and you're based in uh, Singapore, somewhere in Asia, um, and you want to apply for a ins- uh, life insurance policy with us. Chances are we're going to turn you down. Um, because the, um, you know, the, um, the comorbidities that you normally develop as an, as a, as, especially as in a, in a poorly managed diabetes, uh, are probably outweigh any kind of benefits the, that, uh, that we could provide financially in, a, in, in some kind of reasonable manner. Mm-hmm. So we, we turn you down. But as it turns out, well managed diabetes actually proposes, uh, poses a, um, a lower risk than our, the average customer in our book. Um, because people who manage their diabetes well um, look after themselves, exercise, eat healthily, and so on. So, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the opportunity that we have with, uh, with AI is to use these widgets here that we all have in our pockets to, to reconnect with our customers and to then drive you know, personalized uh, recommendations that, that go along the lines of, um, you know, Tony, he, we, we know as a, as a, as an avid Singaporean, you're eating rice, white rice seven times a week. Uh, why don't you substitute your white rice with, uh, once a week for brown rice or basmati rice or whatever it is? And that by itself lowers your diabetes risk. And therefore, you know, the chances of you becoming diabetic are lower. And, um, our ability to uh, adjust your behavior um, and therefore helping you not become ill in the first place and have the risk that we're trying to insure you against not materializing in the first place are much higher. Okay. So that that's one simplistic example. Fair enough. Uh, Rogero, let me kick it over to you. You know, again, to go back to maybe to the question of, you know, financial firms and what Eric was saying that, you know, that, that the approach to AI machine learning is, you know, let's add this in. 
and you know it's a catchy buzzword whatever it is obviously that was it's becoming less and less the case i would say from my experience of it but what's your takeaway on that how are financial firms really handling machine learning and the incorporation because it would seem to me that there there are kind of two separate worlds that there is this you know you have some you know kind of really really targeted um, units within a bank, an asset manager, a hedge fund, whatever it may be, that are really, really locked into machine learning models and building out for the investment process. But that is solely what it's for. And then there's kind of this, let's partner with these cutting edge third party firms that are dumping a lot of money into machine learning because they are just straight up tech companies. Um, and they're not as worried as the uh, uh, investor returns, I guess, uh, put it weirdly. <laughs> uh, what do you think about that, Rogero? Well, uh, I think that in particular for FactSet, so we are content producer for financial uh, companies. So we are really focused to provide the best content and to, to increase our coverage. And to do that, we need to do, we need to go through machine learning and AI. So we've been producing really high quality content on public companies and there is all the filing and we are moving to private companies. So we go from 10 of thousand to million of companies. So we, for us, machine learning is the only way and obviously helped by our content collector. And so to, to improve the whole workflow. So for, from our point of view, it's AI is definitely a core and definitely not. Well, what about, what about, no, I'm sorry. Let me cut you out there. Yes. What about though the banks and the clients that you're working with? You don't have to point yes. anybody out if you want to feel free. Uh, but what about the actual, the banks and clients? Do you, what is your impression of their savviness when you're going in and you're talking with them about their actual AI development? Well, everybody is very interested in using AI and to trying to understand how to modify their workflow. So it's definitely a process, right? So everybody is in the business. They have a current workflow. And now the question is, how do I modify the current workflow to integrate AI machine learning? A lot of of usually what the end user or the external um, outside, like the, 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 I assume the professor, you only see the flashy things, so, you know, the, the, in, the news, the press release. And if there is, for example, if we're collecting something and we're modifying a piece and we use machine learning, well, our goal is to provide better data. It's not to say, hey, we are using machine learning to collect this data. Okay, so in the same point, the bank, is going to provide a service to a client and, for example, suggest a stock. And if that is, is the process use machine learning or not, it's probably something internal. And from my point of view, all our clients are very, very interested to, to learn more. And actually, quite a few of them are actually using machine learning and have, and obviously, based on size, they have people dedicated to, to process okay. our data with machine learning. Fair enough. And uh, Professor Yomaz, I'll kick it over to you because this came from a professor from uh, National University of Singapore, but that the focus is on feature importance, and but the financial theory isn't really being built into some of these machine learning models. What's your takeaway um, of looking at machine learning development uh, versus this is cool technology, let's rush to production versus we need to be able to under... Uh, really understand the full theory behind it, which will help us to better explain how and what these models are doing. 
So I think explainability and development have to go hand in hand, especially in markets where there is critical decision making, where uh, decisions may be affecting people's like in the case of insurance, for example, if you use AI to make a decision as to whether someone's insurance application is accepted or not, the person has the right to know why their application is declined. Otherwise, people will lose trust in the AI algorithm. And uh, and it's also it is related to tr uh, both trust and fairness, because you can develop whatever black box and uh, and held AI responsible for the decisions it makes. And you can bias that decision in any way you like, potentially. So especially for the cases where AI is being used for critical decision making, I think development and explainability have to go hand in hand. And uh, I don't think people will start relying on AI or trusting on AI in the long run if we don't give proper explanations to people. And but there are certain yeah. go on, please go on. Um, there are certain cases where maybe explainability is not as critical, especially if it's not directly affecting people's lives or the, if AI is not directly being used for critical decision making. And in that case, I think it more time can be or more effort can be invested on the development of the algorithms as opposed to explainability. Because I think currently we are a bit behind on explainability part because most research and most focus has been. Uh, kind of uh, spent on development of AI algorithms to make them first, to make them work. And then very recently, the focus has started uh, moving more towards making them explainable as well. Isn't that, though, when you look at technology development, and there is uh, this idea around ethics uh, around uh, AI, but isn't that almost kind of the job of a technologist is to let's push limits, let's see what this can do. It's almost up for, would you say that it's up for the regulators, so for, for financial services, the FCC, SEC, FCA, whatever it is, um, MAS, you know, up to them to kind of put in the, the boundaries, you think, uh, when it comes to that? Because shouldn't tech teams be trying to push those boundaries and see what is available? And then there's obviously you have to be responsible with how you're putting that into production. But then that's where I think the regulators or government agencies would come in. Do you agree with that or you think I'm off base? Uh, potentially, yes. I don't think we have that in place fully yet. Um, and uh, and also, it's, this, this is all quite new as a technology. So that's, that's one of the reasons. But in the long run, I agree that one, one part should definitely focus on development of AI and push the boundaries. And uh, But when it comes to dealing with people and making critical decisions, people also have the right to get to understand why, why they are facing the decision that uh, that was made about them. But I agree that on the one hand, the development shouldn't stop because of explainability. But I do think that uh, explainability is something that we should invest more on. And, and it has, we have to make sure some of the algorithms or some of the decisions are uh, explainable to people, to end users. Laura, maybe a little bit about just what's been talked about the explainability side of this and how um, how much of that is right now at the forefront of thought and development at your bank? How much of it is, you know, you, you kind of need to push the boundaries and then see where the SEC, CFTC, FCA, whatever it is, decide where that where those fences are going to be? Right. No, it's a really good question. I mean, I do think that our job, you know, I think that's the passion of us as technologists is that we're always trying to push the boundaries. Um, and especially when you have new technologies that come out that really do, you know, some of the results that we're seeing will really blow your mind. Um, and 
And so, you know, from, from that standpoint, I think always having your, your pulse on, on the new technologies. How do you push them? How do you use them? What are some of the interesting use cases? I do think that as uh, technology leaders, uh, you know, we do have a, you know, we do have an aspect of that responsible technology. We build in, you know, we, um, you know, build in, you know, kind of audit and controls as part of our DNA. So it is something that we have to be mindful of. Um, but I do, but I do agree. Like there's different use cases. I think Michael and I, they both hit on this. There's different use cases for this technology in a lot of different places, right? Um, you know, in one cases, if you're dealing with books and records or if you're dealing with customers, you, you know, in a, in, in a case where you have to be very deliberate, then you'll want to make sure that you have that explainability. And explainability is going to be key to what I mentioned before about being making sure that, you know, that you can articulate um, that how this model and methodology works and it is deliberate. Um, and to be able to go through that explainability will be a key factor. But there are a lot of other uses that, you know, that are that we were talking about earlier that are very exciting that don't necessarily need all that explainability. They're not going to have earth shattering types of consequences if we get it wrong. But, you know, that what we can do with it will improve customer experience or actually improve technology experience. We're using and deploying AI in technology for technology, which is also very interesting because it's giving us a much, giving the technologists a much broader way of experimenting and, and using some of these technologies to see um, you know, because once you have an understanding of what the good use cases are and how to apply the technology, then you can start to apply it to, to the business users. So we've deployed a lot of artificial intelligence and machine learning specifically in technology. So for example, you know, you can optimize your customer experience on your, on your system, on your application by seeing how different users and different role profiles interact with your system and you can customize and design on the fly what their user experience is going to be. You know, that's something that you can do even within capital markets. Um, and, you know, you, we've found that we can reverse engineer requirements. We're starting to see that, you know, adjustments happen outside of your system. And you, you can, you, if you can get a hold of those adjustments, you have what you, what went into the process and what came out of the process. You can actually reverse engineer and almost mind map all of the capabilities that are happening in, in, into that and, and actually use those as what we call specification by example. Of using those to code, you know, to, as 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 requirements. So there's a lot of really interesting use cases that don't necessarily need the explainability. Um, and so I think that it's really interesting as we as we um, as we look to push the boundaries around this, understand how best to use the technology, but then how to apply it into the business sense of uh, you know knowing and understanding what the what the regulators' expectations are, um, but making sure that you can really. You know that you can, you know, constantly be pushing, pushing the boundaries on this, and and I think a lot of uh, a lot of the the quants and a lot of the model, you know, developers, uh, model developers are also starting to employ this. So I'm gonna, we're starting, we're gonna see this. I think is going to be, you know, a constant push um, for for making changes around using some of this, uh, these, uh, the, this types of analytics and and you know more broadly. Okay. No, very, very good. And, you know, since we were going to talk about explainability anyway, it was going to come a little bit later, but here we are. So let's keep on going with it. Uh, Michael, I want to kick it back then to you. You know, you, you talked, you gave us that scenario and there has to be, I would imagine, especially in the insurance front, this idea of AI bias. So there was a question from the crowd asking, you know, if, if you can't really explain things, then how do you really expect people to trust AI? And, you know, looking at something from uh, AI, you know, there are assumptions that can be built into an AI model. You know, you use the case of um, 
that somebody might have a high uh, rice diet because they're in Singapore and that's, you know, a staple of the cuisine there. Um, you know, somebody is in uh, an impoverished neighborhood in East New York, say, um, does the AI just rather than looking at the human, are they looking at, you know, just at just these here's, you know, we have these assumptions that are kind of built into the model. And that can go for trading too. assumptions can be naturally built in because a model is only as good as the bias of the developer that's building these things. Right. So how do you handle that? Uh, kind of development bias and then being able to handle the explainability aspects of that should the regulators come to you and say, you know, why, why are your, why are you approving this group of people, but not this group of people? Sure. Let, let me give you an example that's probably easiest. So, um, we built a, we built a, a claims, um, um, a claims model for uh, our health insurance offering. In, uh, in a number of countries in Southeast Asia. And, um, you know, there's, it's, uh, it's a, the data set that sits underneath the, that, that claims model is obviously historic claims and historic claims acceptances and historic claims rejections. And those claims cover, you know, pretty much all the, the wide, the, the full spectrum of human diseases. You know, there's so sort of 14,400 diagnosis codes and we have claims against pretty much every single one of them. Um, so, we, in our first iteration of building this model, we've, uh, we've, we've been really simplistic. We just used a random forest to, to build that model. And we actually had some pretty good outcomes. But um, the, the complaint that we hit pretty quickly was um, that when a customer questioned a claims decision, the, uh, the agent who was handling that call wasn't able to give um, a suitable response as to why a claim was rejected. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's obviously the whole, the whole, the whole point of explainability and all these kind of things. So, um, we built a probabilistic graphical model and replaced that with, um, uh, we replaced our own forest uh, model with that. And that now has the full causality chain as well as all the, uh, uh, the beautiful automated claims journey that we built uh, originally. So um, there's algorithmic approaches to to deal with explainability, um, and that that's been for us very successful. It doesn't cover the whole spectrum of all the fourteen thousand four hundred diagnosis codes I mentioned, but it certainly covers you know the high the highest volume ones. The second piece that you mentioned that goes with explainability is that of bias, and um, you know, when we then back tested the outcomes of our algorithm with um, what our human claims assessors have produced over over the years, really, in, t- in terms of bias, again, by gender, ethnic groups, and region, in this case. Um, the, uh, we found that actually um, uh, we had better bias scores um, in our, uh, in our uh, probabilistic graphical model than uh, the human claims assessors were able to produce. So uh, I, I, again, I'm probably the hopelessly optimistic about technology, but um, I, I, my experience certainly in practice is that we have all the explainability that's required with a lower bias than a human claims assessor would have brought to the to the party um, in, in in our experience. So um, that that that's you know, clearly there's work behind it. You know, it doesn't come naturally. The easy the easy approach is uh, is may, maybe not be the the uh, the one that gives the best outcomes. 
but certainly in our experience, we, we can fulfill those criteria.